This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today examines Matthew 28, 1 through 15, Jesus' resurrection and the fabricated story of the soldiers. Together, we will be discussing our call to proclaim His truth wherever we go. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast. Uh, back again with you this week. Uh, I'll just say it. Happy Easter week. I think we're in the uh, fourth day of Easter, if I had have done my math right. Um, and so it's good to be back. We are going to be having a conversation on the resurrection in a moment. But just as a quick reminder, um, this last week, we worked through Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, uh, which examined Jesus's triumphal entry. Remember, it, it lined up perfectly with uh, Palm Sunday. Um, and as a result of that um, that story, we discussed the humility of Christ and his call to slow down and to follow him. Uh, this week, as I said, we're going to be having a conversation on the resurrection story. So we skip forward um, in the book of Matthew a little bit. Don't worry, we're going to go back and and work in between. Uh, but we wanted to, as a church, make sure we were uh, walking in line with the Christian calendar as well. And so today's passage is going to be out of Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. And that is specifically going to be examining Matthew's account or Matthew's story of Jesus's resurrection and then the report uh, from the soldiers. And so, uh, Natasha, I believe we have you reading today. So uh, would you go ahead and read that for us? Yes. Chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He was risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. All right, so there we have it, the 
the account of the resurrection of Christ and and some of the the story that surrounded it immediately after. Um, so as we jump into this, what are you seeing? What are your observations? What's standing out to you? I think for me, the the first thing that sticks out is um, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there. Um, like they they were part of kind of the whole process up to this point. I know like this is prior to this, but they were there for the death of Jesus. They were there for the burial of Jesus, and now they're there for the resurrection of Jesus. And so they've seen this whole process unfold, and uh, like it makes me question, like, where's everybody else at? And you know, why are, why is it only them? I guess you know everybody else is kind of I don't know doing their own thing, but here they are. They've been faithful throughout this whole process and kind of seen it through. And and um, as we go on, it's kind of um, ironic that Jesus is kind of doing what he's done up to this point in showing how his kingdom is different. He reveal you know he he reveals himself to them. Um, and so, uh, you know, in this time, women weren't viewed as, as highly as a man was. And so for them to be the first encounter or the first, you know, risen encounter of Christ, like, I, I think it just is a a great reminder that it's an upside down kingdom. It's not the same that we would expect. Um, everybody is valuable regardless of who they are. And they've been faithful to this point. They were there for his death and his burial and now his resurrection. I think it puts a bookend to that note because at the beginning, when we're talking about the genealogy of Jesus in chapter one, Mm -hmm. we go through all of these should not fits in Jesus's lineage, whether we're talking about Rahab, the prostitute, or this mishap with Bathsheba, right? Like there's just, there's one thing after another that should not be. Um, and yet Jesus is, is happy to include them or the, the writer of Matthew is happy to include them in this genealogy pointing again to this upside down kingdom, Derek, that you talked about. And so I think it's appropriate then that we close the book of Matthew chapter 28 with the same idea that the least are elevated, the least will be Mm -hmm. first. And that's been a, a real strong theme, I think, that we've seen emerge as we've moved throughout this this book. And, and Jesus is the one who does the elevating. Nobody else, it, you know, no one else could elevate them to this position. Only Christ could. And a thought that came to me as you guys were um, talking about that is, so Jesus comes to them and delivers the message, and so he is demonstrating this idea of the upside-down kingdom that he's been communicating, but also he tells them to go and tell the disciples. And so he is expecting that their testimony is going to carry weight with the 12 and the others around them. And, and so it's, it's, it's not necessarily directly stated in here, but I think that an implicit part of this conversation is that Jesus believes we've been talking for a while now that the disciples, they're getting it, but they haven't fully gotten it. Like they're getting there, they're getting there. And so it's almost like Jesus at the end of the gospel is is saying, is expecting that they, they've gotten it, that they're there. And so he is going to be able to send Mary and Mary with this testimony of his resurrection, and they are going to believe him, which is antithetical to how society would function 
at this time. The testimony of women would not have held weight or any water. Not in any sort of formal setting like a trial or anything. They could have never given testimony. And yet Jesus trusted them really with a prophetic word. Yes. And so it's like this first prophecy following Jesus's resurrection is from the mouth of a woman Mm -hmm. or from the mouth of the least of these. Right. Right. And if we look back at the Old Testament, we can see how a woman coming into the presence of a of the king would be, you know, um, could be judged and what that could cost her or, you know, and in this case, them. And Jesus responds completely different. In the presence of the king, they have, they have a place. And not only do they have a place, like he's entrusting them with the kingdom, essentially, because he's saying to go and tell. And it's not just going to be the, the disciples, as we're going to find out later. It's going to be go and tell you know, the whole world. And so he's entrusting them with the real first go following his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that Jesus commissioned a woman to share the gospel, and to preach? I would say that Jesus first commissioned women post-crucifixion to go and tell the good news, that he's not dead. He's not there any longer. He's risen. And I mean, this is consistent with what we see throughout Acts in the early church, that women were a very instrumental and important part of the growth of the early church. Yeah, I I would say kind of with this conversation, uh, the observation that stuck out to me was Mary and Mary went to look at the tomb. Like the fact that that's even part of the conversation. And like you said, where where is everybody else? Um. But I think the the question that I had is, why did they go to look at the tomb? Did they go to look at the tomb because they had been hearing what Jesus said and heard him say that he was going to rise, and so they're going in expectation that he has risen or will rise? Or were they going to the tomb to pay their respects? Were they going to the tomb to mourn? Like, wh- why were they going to the tomb? And why was nobody else with them? Well, in Mark, it talks about them get, gathering spices to um, for the burial. Um, so in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to serve. You know, they've they've watched him die. They've um, they've watched them place him in the tomb, and now they're going to go as their last service to serve him. So I think as we're talking about the testimonies of of we can say women in this instance the the, the testimonies though of of people who you who we wouldn't typically be willing to receive receive or hold hold their thoughts or or whatever they say really as valid. So the people we dismiss, um, I guess it got at, at our table. Um, it got us conversing about the people in our lives that we dismiss, and so um, we were just kind of asking, you know, who who are the who are the least of these people today that we might see or encounter in our lives that we're really just dismissing their testimony or we're dismissing their story even, even if it hasn't intersected with, um, with a salvation moment yet, but we dismiss their stories because, well, they don't really matter a whole lot. And so I think at the kids table, this led to some really good conversations from, from young children who really understood the implications of 
them overlooking people that matter to Jesus and the opportunities that they then miss out on that Jesus wants to invite them into in participation with these other people that they've just written off. And so as the kids were talking and sharing, it came out about the mean kids. The mean kids are the kids that are disruptive in class. These are the ones that they wouldn't necessarily trust or they wouldn't necessarily, um, I guess they wouldn't see necessarily Jesus choosing to work through them. So of course, you know, anything that they say that might potentially be a word from Jesus, they're going to kind of write off as, uh uh-uh, they they don't really get it because you can tell that they're not really, they're not really a Jesus follower. They don't act like Jesus or look like Jesus. So I'm just kind of, kind of dismiss. And that's where that conversation I think led. And so as the kids are reflecting on this, they're, they're talking about, well, but no, Jesus can talk through all sorts of people. And we talked about Paul and how Mm -hmm. Jesus took the bully and made him really another cornerstone of the church. So much of the scripture that we have today, so much of what we know about the church is because of Paul's ministry. And we wouldn't have that if people hadn't been willing to listen to him, if people hadn't been willing to risk their their lives to go and heal him even. Um, And so so I, I think that, you know, as the kids are reflecting on this, I think they see the importance of really, truly testing everything. You can't just test the things that look and smell the way you think Jesus looks and smells because we're constantly learning a new Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so as Jesus reveals himself to us more and more, we have to constantly be looking for what that new revelation is because Jesus could choose to work through anybody, even the person who's mean or even the kid who's always disrupting the class. And so I think those were the, the examples that we talked about in that group. I think that's I think that's good and and I think this relates back to a conversation that we had as a result of the triumphal entry and how you know in that whole story that we talked about last week like we recognize just how regularly God operated outside of the expectation in the triumphal entry um and how you know, we need to make sure that we slow down and we're paying attention because we'd be liable to miss what God's doing if we only are looking for God to be working in the way that we think God should be working. And so I think this is a continuation of that conversation here, once again, just being reinforced that, you know, as followers of Christ, it is imperative that we slow down and we intently look for where Jesus is moving and what Jesus is doing. And we don't do it in such a way that we're only looking for him to be working in ways that we expect him to be working. Like we need to dial back our expectations. We need to dial back our, our preconceived notions of the way we think Jesus should be operating. And we just need to approach it from a childlike standpoint where we just say something like, I know Jesus is going to work. And so I just want to see how he does it instead of saying, and this is how it's going to go. Um, and so I just, I think 
it's just a continued reminder. When what all we would have missed if the disciples would have said, no, 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 these are women. We're not going to buy their testimony. It's fine. I mean, hopefully Jesus would have still revealed himself to them. (laughs) But I mean, can you imagine like Mm -hmm. the loss and how many times do we miss those kinds of things and we don't get a second chance? Right. There's not always a second chance. And so there may be prophetic word that we are missing, that we have written off because the people delivering the message aren't the expected. And I know this jumps forward in the passage that we read, but I think it's directly related to this conversation and it shows the flip side of it. And that is uh, verse uh, 15. You know, the, the religious officials got together, they, they concocted this plan and then they paid off the guards to tell a story, to tell a lie of what happened. And the soldiers accepted because, well, if they didn't accept and they also got the religious officials on uh, against them, like the future for them was going to be pretty bleak because usually when you lose somebody that you're supposed to be guarding in this time period, it resulted in the end of your own life. So it's almost like they're put in a situation where they have to tell the story if they want to continue to breathe. Um, but verse 15 says, so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And so you see this dichotomy just from the beginning of, of chapter 28 to this middle verse 15 of chapter 28, where the women are entrusted with this testimony and they go and share the, the word. And then these men, these soldiers with a place of power, with a place of prominence, uh, people that would have been trusted, they also have a story that they are telling. And because of their place of influence, because of their place of power, uh, because of the power backing them, their story is widely circulated and people are listening to it as well. And so just as, you know, the story of Jesus' resurrection is is picking up steam and and, and is furthered, the story of Jesus's disciples stealing his body is picking up steam because of the in, the expected influence or because of the influence that these people have and the expectation that they they would have the truth not these women. And so you just you see um I guess the the different positions that these testimonies come from and the influence that these positions carry and the impact that that influence has on the world. I really feel like I have to ask, like, isn't the church still in some way doing the same thing today? Like, we may not be perpetuating a lie about what happened at the grave, but we we could very well be perpetuating a lie of, of what God, like, what the truth of God's Word is, because there's some payoff for us. Um, whether it comes through power, or prestige, or any of those things, like I feel like I've seen that, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I've seen. Even Brittany and I were talking about something similar the other day. Like, yeah, we may not be telling them. Like, we may com- still like speak the truth about what happened at the grave and that Jesus resurrected, but we could be misconstruing part of the gospel. And it'd be just as damaging 
as saying that the disciples took the body and that, that it didn't really happen. This was actually a conversation that took place at our table. Um, as we, as a group kind of reflected on, okay, what is it that Jesus is saying to us through this passage? And we did focus in on this section about the guards report, um, and how, how easy it can be for us to be willing to, to go along with what the guards did to perpetuate a lie because of the implications for ourselves. So they got paid and they got to live. Um, and I think when, when I say it in that way, it sounds super harsh and probably there would be a ton of pushback from people that would hear me say that, but it is a very slippery slope and a short journey to begin to allow my ability to live as I live to influence the words that I say. I guess I would like back it up by saying we can start with the best of intentions. We really can. We can start with the best of intentions. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves in a place where telling the lie is for our benefit, not for the benefit of the kingdom. And that's that whole like working out everything before Christ, like constant communication, getting this vertical this vertical relationship correct so that when i go out and i'm like professing the truth to other people it's not it's not my truth right. i didn't write it yeah exactly it's not my truth and if it's always christ's truth we can't go wrong but it's when i want that like i'm willing to say my truth so that i can have x y and z i mean and that could be like monetary that could be physical or that could be relational that that could be influential like power like you were saying like it it can take many forms it it absolutely can and if if the point isn't to keep christ's truth at the very center that that he's no longer there the grave is empty he has risen and not only has he risen from the dead but he's gone before us so we don't have to right. do it alone. Like, we do not have to do it alone. And I, in some way, I feel like that's what he's saying to, to, to the Marys. Like, I'm, like, I will see them in Galilee. I'm going before them. I've risen, like, or through the angel. Like, I've risen, and I'm going before you. And I'm going to be there with you. Like, you're not going to do this alone. And yet, they, they don't yet see that. Like, we, we haven't gotten to Pentecost yet, so they don't still fully understand all that. But... Um, I, I just, you know, I think that, that Jesus, like, you're so good at this, at laying it out before us. And if we just keep your truth at the center, not my truth, because my truth causes hurt, it causes pain and it causes you death. And yet you can sit, you, you can be nailed to a cross and say, father, forgive them. Like for they, they don't know what they're doing. And if somebody was nailing me to the cross, I hope that that would be my my response. Often when I'm getting, you know, quote unquote, like nailed to the cross, I'm ready to like throw throw down. And right. um, and Jesus, you didn't do that. Hmm. And so, I want your truth. I want to convey your truth because I don't I don't have an agenda other than seeing 
people like reconciled. And that's only my agenda because you gave it to me. Um, it's really so simple. I feel like the kids' table, they said, well, Jesus doesn't want me to lie because my lies impact people, even when I think they may not. And, I mean, I think I think about it. Actually, just today, I was sitting in a public location for, for a time um, listen, overhearing a conversation had between two Christians, and one person was telling the other how they'd figured out this way to manipulate their education monies for charter school to be able to pay for certain expenses that weren't supposed to be paid for in that way. And so now they do this regularly as a regular practice because it benefits them. So there's like, I mean, it's not just a thing with the gospel specifically. This is something that like is trickles into our lives in all these different areas. And if it benefits me now, all of a sudden my truth skewed is okay. Mm -hmm. I can manipulate and I can tell a lie as long as it justifies the end. And I think we see this all the time in business practices. Mm. I mean, whatever our, our society is built this way, we're trained to think in this way, whatever can benefit me best is really what is best. Mm. And so as long as it's not overtly hindering someone else directly that I can perceive, or at least that they perceive, right? If I can get away with it without them perceiving it, then it's an okay thing to do because we'll look at all the good it will bring me. Mm. And so I think that this is, this problem really is, it's something that exists within the church probably just as much, or at least among people who profess to be Christians, as much as it does among the secular world. And I think that's why it's so important for us to live that, that Vernazal life, that we take every thought and that we take every word captive before we we think it or before we say it because everything we do or say has implications whether Mm -hmm. positive or negatively um and what we think may be harmless may not be and we have no way of you know we have no way of knowing you know the outcome either way um but i think i think you guys are right i think it's very important to take all that captive before we do or say anything well, because our lies can carry on forever. I mean, this says, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. I don't think that that stopped just like, I don't think that was a context for just that time. Like, like our lies can carry on for, for generations. And what we think may only affect us may affect a, a whole line of, of people behind us line like lineage our our family when i was a teenager my dad would tell me you know you are my daughter you are eugene christian's daughter and everything that you do has a direct impact or a direct representation of me so it really made me think and also the fact that I knew that he would find out things before I even got home. But <laughs> it made me think about things that I did or things that I said because I knew that I was representing my dad when I was out. Mm. And if I think about that as I am a Christian, I profess to be a Christian, everything that I say, everything that I do is a direct representation of Jesus to other people. 
how, how different would my words be mm-hmm. if I truly took that to heart? How different would my conversations that are private in my office be if I truly took that to heart? Jesus, help me to remember this every second of every day that I am an, a, I'm a direct representation of you. And this is why the resurrection matters. This is why Easter is a day we can celebrate. Because yes, every thought we think, every word we speak is a reflection of Jesus. And Jesus died and was resurrected. He came back to life to bring us new life. So that our thoughts and our words could reflect him on a moment-by-moment basis. It's not that we have to live in this life of defeat, the life of the shadow of the cross, the life of a grave. We, as Christians, have the opportunity and, and the privilege to live a life that is living, that's flourishing as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and that is exciting. That's something we're celebrating, and that is, that is why this day is a day of such good news. When, when we did the, the sunrise service um, this year, as we were playing one of the songs, um, the sun started to peek up over, over the mountains, um, and it was blinding. I'm not going to lie. I had made the mistake of actually looking up at the sun and then trying to look back down at my music and I couldn't find the chords <laughs> for a moment. Um, and I was, I was blinded, but then it was like, it, it hit me, um, specifically like, as I, I think about the story that we're reading in Matthew 28 about how, um, the angel was there and his clothes were as white as snow and it was such a bright light. I was like, Oh, maybe this was like a a taste of what that was like. Um, but then this, this thought hit me that today we celebrate the, that Jesus is risen, that the sun is risen. And here we are singing about how the sun is risen and the sun is rising. And in scripture, you know, in, in Genesis, God's, God sends the rainbow as a covenant between him and humanity, that he will never again destroy the earth through a flood. And though I know that this is not a, a covenant made in Scripture, I felt like Jesus was saying, reminding me in that moment or saying to me in that moment, just as the, the rainbow is a reminder of the covenant that that we have, that I will never again destroy by flood, the rising of the sun every day is a reminder of the reality that I have risen, that I am with you. And I, and I think about that, you know, you carry that thought all the way through and, and the sun stays up and it, it brings light. It allows us to function throughout the day. And usually that's, the most I would think about the sun. Like I don't even actually think about the fact that it's the sun doing it. I just know that I can actually live and work and, you know, go on about my business. But it's the only reason I can do any of that is because the sun is with me. Like the the solar sun is with me. 
And the truth is, Jesus, the Son, is also with me. And so the rising of the sun, the sun remaining in the sky throughout the day, can and should be a constant reminder for us of the reality that Jesus is alive and he is with us. And he is providing the ability for us to walk through life and to to navigate things and, and to have pure thoughts and to speak pure words and to perform pure actions again it's this whole idea we don't have to live in the shadow of death because we have the light of the sun to guide us as a direct result of this resurrection and so that that was probably you know maybe stepping back from this story for a moment as i think about the entirety of this holy week that's something that has has really stuck with me as a result of the journey that we've been on as a church and then being there uh, at 6:30 in the morning for the sunrise service was you know i i wake up and i see the sun differently i know it's only been one one day two days three days right but i i look at the sun differently and i hope that that just continues I think for me this year, I was struck by, so I know we watched a version of um, this crucifixion video with the Lego Lego, brick figures. It was awesome. If you haven't checked it out, you definitely should. Go on YouTube, type in Lego crucifixion. Um, And so this, this version was, was slightly different than what we had watched previously. And for whatever reason, this time I was really struck by the exchange between Jesus and Barabbas, I guess that happened because, and I just felt so overwhelmed by the fact that like you could place any one of us up there. Like me is Barabbas. Like I could just sub my name out for that. And Jesus stood there and he watched Barabbas walk away and he took the place of someone else before he even went to the cross. Mm. And so, I don't know, I was just, I found myself to be very overwhelmed, I guess, this Easter by not, not necessarily something new or novel, but that Jesus really did, he really did take my place. And I think the reflection of that left me in this space of, man, I hope I'm living every day worth it. If he died to let me live, is my living, is it enough? The way that I'm living, is it enough to, as we talked about earlier, reflect Jesus? Am I, am I, I guess the, the words of maybe saving private Ryan even come to mind where he looks at him at the end as he's dying and he tells him, he tells this. him, yeah, earn this. And not that Jesus wants us to earn this, but more that I just feel compelled. How could I not try to, to live my life in such a way to make the most of his sacrifice so that I don't squander a bit of it? And I just, I don't know, I, I felt myself so overwhelmed by that reality uh, this this past Holy Week, when we uh, when we watched the 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 Lego movie, um, the Lego Crucifixion, and one of the children said that it's not fair, mm-hmm. and man, that hit me like a ton of bricks because it's absolutely true. It it is not fair 
because I, I used to sing a song called On My Cross, and it talks about those being my nails and my crown and my shame and my guilt and all these things. We talked about the beast of burden last week, and that really is is true of that donkey, that it, it was a beast of burden. And in that, I until like that got shared and then like weighing all these things that Jesus took to the cross, like he truly needed a donkey to carry the load that he was taking. And if truth be told, there aren't enough donkeys in creation to carry the load that Jesus was taking to the cross. And absolutely, I feel like it was symbolic. Like I feel like there is a symbolism in him riding on the donkey, but there is not enough in creation. There isn't. There hasn't been enough between the time that Christ was crucified and now to carry all the burden that He took. And yet, if you have ears to hear and you're hearing this right now, and you don't know Jesus, like He did it for you, and if He would have died for no one else, it would have been for you. And that's what love looks like. And that is not. I can't. I can't rationalize the fairness in that. Because it should have been me. It should have been each of us. And yet that's what love looks like. So as you said, Natasha, like I should be compelled, not because I have to earn it. I know like I can look in scripture, there's nothing for me to earn, but I should want to. I should want to earn it every day because his love was so great. We we sing living hope and we talk about this chasm and there really is a chasm. There's life and death, and the only way to the other side of the chasm is through the cross. That's it. Like, that's it. That's the only way for us to bridge the chasm. And I even I did a sermon a few years ago. We were going through the Apostles' Creed, and I talked about that. It was actually the week after Easter, and it was like perfect timing. And like, if you've been to the Grand Canyon, at the widest point, I think it's like around 16 miles across. But if you hike it, it's 22 miles. That's There's a lot of cost in going 22 miles. But what happens if you get, like, you get you fall along the way and get hurt? Somebody has to come and rescue you? It's not free. If they have to, like, you know, bring out certain equipment, there's a cost associated with that. And that's minimal in comparison to what Jesus did in taking all of our sin and our shame and our guilt. And so he would have done it for 22 million miles, if that was what he had to bridge. like, And so it's not fair, and yet he did it anyway. In in the parables just a, a couple of weeks ago, we had this conversation on fairness and where Jesus is trying to re, reorient, rewire our understanding of what is fair. And so we still can look at it and we'll say, man, that's not fair, but Jesus would say, absolutely, it, it's fair. I came to serve. Yeah. This is my job. I, I I signed up for this. I agreed to this. And there is no other way that that, that it could have happened. No other way. Right. For me, the thing um that kept going through, and I think it's because um our two year old kept talking about Jesus having boo boos. And um it just made me think about, you know, when when our kids get boo-boos and they, you know, they fall and they scrape their knee and having a two-year-old that happens a lot. Um, and how, when she, when she falls and she gets hurt, 
she cries and she wants mommy or daddy. She doesn't really want anybody else. And on the cross, you know, Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? And I can't imagine what it, what God felt like in that moment, knowing that his son was in excruciating pain and he had to be separated. And I know, I know there's good and I know there, there's a reason, but that had to be painful as a parent. I can't imagine not being there when my child was in pain or needed me. And a lot of times I, when I think about, you know, the crucifixion, I think a lot about the pain that Jesus went through, but I don't know that I've ever thought about God and that, that parent pain that, that there was felt because of that separation. And it just makes me um, appreciate the sacrifice even more, I think. And so, like, as we kind of weigh all of these, these look backs over, over Holy Week, um, we can, just as the Marys were called to go, you know, we, we talked about not, we don't, we can't earn this, this salvation, but there is an expectation that comes with this transformation. And just as, as the Marys were commissioned to go by the angel to go and tell the, the apostles what has taken place, we're, we're commissioned to do the same thing in our lives. Maybe it's not the apostles, but there's somebody that God is wanting you to share this good news. He is risen. He's not there. The grave's empty, you know, and he's desiring that transformation that's occurred within them to, to occur within the disciples and, and beyond. And that's what we desire. That's We come here every week with a desire to tell the good news of what Jesus has done and what we see in his word. And so, you know, go and tell because he's going ahead of you. Just like he was going to go ahead of the disciples, he's going ahead. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.